of chapter 2. We're going to cover a passage that probably for good reason is rarely preached at Christmas time. Matthew chapter 2. There are Bibles in the back as well and we will show the verses on the screen next to me. We've said that our desire for this little series that ends this morning is that our, our faith, our faith toward Christ would be built. And, and this morning, my prayer, my hope is that our faith in his purpose, his purpose of coming would be built particularly. It's really addressing the, the so what question. The so what question of Christmas. The, the baby has been born, but you might be here asking, okay, so what? What difference does that make? Well, I think you find the so what as you consider the the gifts this child born at Christmas brings. Think of this passage kind of like one of those unboxing videos on YouTube. Kids, have you seen those unboxing videos? Anybody seen an un- a few people, thank you, my son, has seen an unboxing video. <laughs> to do theological research for this message, I watched an unboxing video of a guy who had just received his brand new iPhone 10. It was my first unboxing video. He comes and he opens the, the packaging and he lifts it up and he displays it for the camera, the new iPhone 10. Look at the screen, look at the resolution. Now watch me take a selfie. Now here's how this selfie compares to former selfies. This passage is like an unboxing video. We're going to walk through a story and along the way, we're going to unbox some gifts, some amazing gifts. The child born at Christmas brings friends gifts, gifts that you and I desperately need. Gifts that could transform your Christmas, more so transform our lives. So let's look at the story. Let's jump in. Now recall a little bit of background here. Ancient astrologers called Magi have been led by a star for hundreds of miles to the city of Jerusalem. They come saying they want to worship or pay homage to one, quote, born king of the Jews. They want to pay homage or respect to this child born king of the Jews. Well, the cruel King Herod is not so jazzed about someone being born, quote, king of the Jews. I didn't make his day. So he assembles the religious scholars asking, where will the Christ, where will the Messiah be born? And they turn to Micah chapter 5 in particular, and they say, Bethlehem. And so now imagine King Herod slyly saying to the Magi, "Um, guys, guys, so good to have you here. When did you see that star? When did it first appear? Oh, really, less than two years ago? Oh, so you're looking for a little guy. Oh, kind of a toddler. Oh, how cute. Well, my guys say he's probably in Bethlehem. So go, go to Bethlehem, look around there, and if you find him, would you do me a favor, would you? Would you come back and tell me about him so that I may go and pay homage as well? I can't wait to meet him. King of the Jews, that's great. And then we pick up the story in verse 13. Verse 13. Now when they, the Magi, had departed, behold, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he, Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So an angel appears to Joseph again in a dream, gives an urgent command, get up, flee to Egypt now. Herod wants to kill this child. And Matthew's, Matthew's first Jewish readers, I think, have been alert to something here. They would have said, I, I know, I know of another family that fled to Egypt. I know of Jacob, later renamed Israel, who fled to Egypt to escape from a famine, and they became a great people in Egypt, the people of Israel. And Matthew would say, you're connecting the dots. For notice what Matthew writes next. Verse 15. This was to fulfill something. There is significance here, something to interpret these events. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, certainly God is preserving our Lord through this scene. That's a theme in this passage. God's intervention to preserve the Christ child, our Savior. And yet, the Holy Spirit is saying through verse 15, look, more is going on as well. Words given by the prophet Hosea over 700 years prior to this event, those words are being fulfilled. But now, check this out. That Hosea quote out of Egypt, I've called my son, that's, that's looking back to an event called the Exodus. When the people of Israel came a sort of nation down in Egypt and God heard their cries and so God in their enslavement and God God raised up a guy named Moses and Moses said to Pharaoh on behalf of God look Israel is my firstborn son my son let my son let my people go Exodus chapter 4 and for Israel that's their great salvation moment deliverage out of bondage deliverage out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom so Matthew That verse is talking about Israel and it's reflecting back on their salvation moment called the Exodus. Why are you saying that this journey of the toddler Jesus and his family to Egypt somehow fulfills that verse? Well, there are, there are different ways the Bible talks about things being fulfilled. One way is just the outright prediction of things. Like, where will the Messiah be born? Micah chapter 5, Bethlehem. Boom, there he is, Bethlehem. But that's not the only way you should think of fulfillment in, in the Bible. Another kind of fulfillment is when a, a pattern is fulfilled, a, a paradigm is, is completed. It, it's kind of like this. Kids, I don't know if your parents do this to you, but I've done this to my kids. 
Sometimes when I've bought them clothing, I intentionally get it too big. A couple sizes too large. They're going to grow into it, right? It's gonna, I don't want them to just be obsolete here, so especially, I'm sorry, my children, with, with shoes. I, I have always oh, that's a good fit now, but let's just add a size to that thing. I know it looks like clown shoes, but let's get that thing kind of bigger so you have space to grow in them. And that's what this kind of fulfillment is, is like in a, in a way. God put some clothes on his people Israel, but they were, they were oversized, you might say. They had priests bringing sacrifices, but they were never enough. They had kings, most of whom were failures. They had prophets speaking the word of God, but, but couldn't change people's hearts. All that clothing was given by God to Israel, but it was a few sizes too big. It was all pointing forward to one for whom those clothes would fit perfectly. Tailor-made. Tailor-made for the true priest, the perfect king and the ultimate prophet. Jesus fulfills those patterns, those roles, you might say. The clothing fits him just right. Same is true with some of the key events in Israel's history. There are patterns or or paradigms that fit Jesus perfectly, that were meant to point forward to him. So what's the Exodus a pattern of? Well, it's a pattern of out of slavery into freedom, out of bondage into deliverance. And God is saying those clothings, those pieces of clothing, that, that outfit, it fits my true son perfectly. The, the ultimate Moses, you might say, who leads his people into freedom. So this, this unboxes a gift, doesn't it? Gift number one. Let's call it this, gift number one, out of bondage, Jesus brings deliverance. Out of, out of slavery, Jesus brings freedom. You see, all of us are born in, in bondage to sin. That we, we might make some New Year's resolutions, we might read some great self-help books, and there can be a place for all of those things, but, but no amount of self-improvement can address our core problem. Listen, the message of Jesus is not fundamentally try harder. The message of Jesus is you need deliverance from outside of you to help you to rescue you. And that's what this true son, this ultimate son, brings for you and me. He leads his people out of spiritual bondage, spiritual slavery, and toward an ultimate promised land. That means... That means if you are his this Christmas, if you are his, you have been profoundly changed. He has freed you from slavery to sin. Those shackles, as it were, have come off of your soul and you are a new creation in Christ. You're going to need to believe that. You're going to need to exercise faith in that reality because here's a newsflash. In 2018, you're still going to wrestle with remaining sin. You're still going to struggle with remaining sin. 
with him. You see, spiritual freedom, this kind of spiritual exodus, does not mean freedom from the presence of sin, not yet. It means freedom from slavery to sin. So catch this. You're not yet completely new, but you are genuinely new. And you are being, by grace, incrementally changed. By grace and the power of the Spirit, you are being changed from one degree of glory to the next, as the Scripture says. So, so unwrap this gift with me. Realize it is possible by God's power to be a more patient parent a year from now. Happy news. It's possible to be a more loving spouse a year from now. Your marriage can be changed. It's possible to be a a kinder friend. Your relationships can be transformed by this gift, this child. It's possible for you kids to be a more loving sibling a year from now. It's possible for all of us to grow in love for God and satisfaction in Him. How? Well, because of this gift. Out of bondage, he brings his people into spiritual freedom. That's gift number one. Now back to our story. Let's keep going. Now recall, God had warned these magi, back in verse 12, God had already warned them, don't go back to Herod, he's a bad dude. It doesn't take long for Herod to realize this. You know, they had time to go and come back here and tell me about this child. And where are they? Herod realizes they're not coming back. And so to eliminate the threat he perceives of some rival king, Herod does what his cruel mind here conceives in verse 16. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, at least as he viewed it, He became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Now let's just state the obvious here. This is not the snow globe version of Christmas. Kids, do you know what a snow globe is? You've seen a snow globe. It's when there's a little glass thing or plastic thing and there's a scene inside, some kind of streetscape. And you shake it and what happens? It snows inside, isn't it? Snow globes are those charming little scenes. Peaceful, little, safe, serene Scenes unconnected from real life. This is not the snow globe version of Christmas. No one's here singing Silent Night, Holy Night now. This is real grief and real suffering. This is real life, friends. Maybe, maybe it's about a dozen families affected. Bethlehem was a small village. But it is still real, heartbreaking, unimaginable grief. I just imagine these parents going, why? Why did you kill my child? As soldiers rampage around the village. This is real life. 
in our world. And Matthew doesn't minimize that grief, but he sees a greater significance again. Verse 17. A bigger story he sees playing out. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there are no more. So he's quoting now, he's quoting the prophet Jeremiah, who is describing another key moment in Israel's history, exile. There are a couple of times in Israel's history where God exiled his people out of the land, once for the northern kingdom, once for the southern kingdom. This is probably the time for the southern kingdom when they are exiled out of the land by the Babylonians. And as they are exiled, the Babylonians, as we understand it, would gather the people at this place referred to in verse 18, Ramah, on the way to Babylon. And the, the matriarch here, kind of the mother of Israel, Rachel, she's buried near there in that vicinity. So Jeremiah, Jeremiah sees Rachel as weeping for her descendants as they're taken away. She's, she's brokenhearted, crying over her descendants. They're, they're no more. They're not a nation anymore. They're getting kicked out of the land. And God seems to be saying that the grief of Bethlehem at the hands of Herod, it has, it has an echo in that grief of exile for Israel. But, but these Old Testament fulfillments, to really understand what's going on, you sometimes have to look at the context from which it's being drawn. You need to look back and see what, what is the bigger context of that verse to really understand why is the New Testament author drawing on that particular passage? Because Matthew's not making this stuff up willy-nilly. We believe the Holy Spirit is guiding him into real intentional connections. And Jeremiah 31 that he quotes here is a well-known chapter. In fact, in fact, as one commentator puts it, Matthew quotes the one gloomy verse, an entire chapter of hope. That's what he does. One gloomy verse picked out of an ocean of hope in Jeremiah 31. But just, just catch this. The next verse in Jeremiah 31 says this, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. They shall come back. He says, there is hope. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. Did you hear that? Jeremiah 31 is about hope of restoration from exile. It even goes on, doesn't it? That chapter goes on to talk about a new covenant, a new relationship between God and his people. A relationship, a covenant where God would write his law on their, on their hearts, transforming it from within. A, a relationship where God would be their God and they, his people, the very heart of this covenant. A relationship there 
where they would know God personally and intimately and were told God would forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. It's an ocean of hope. So the Holy Spirit is connecting the grief of, ba- of the grief of Bethlehem, not just with the grief of exile, but a vast sea of hope that we should see. So unbox with me one more gift. Gift number two looks like this. Out of grief, Jesus brings hope. Out of the grief we experience, Jesus Christ, this child, brings hope. Friends, don't we need this gift? You and I, we live in this fallen world, a world of sin, of evil, of suffering, of death. But the child born at Christmas has come to bring you hope in the midst of your grief. I took a, um, I took a counseling class this past year from a, from a seminary. And the, the, the thing I I'm just most took away, a lot of good things, the thing I most took away was this mantra the professor kept coming back to. He kept saying, we have to, in counseling, we have to help people make sure they are locating their story in God's bigger story. I think that's really good advice. Locate your own story in God's bigger story. Because what happens in grief? What happens in suffering? What happens in trials? I get tunnel vision. It's all I can see. All I can wonder. All I can think about is what is happening and when will this end? And Christmas says that suffering is real. But don't forget this bigger story. The tears of exile are ending. The promised king, the promised king has come. All things will be made new one day when he returns. And until then, listen, until then, he's with you. Remember the heart of that covenant, that relationship? I will be their God and they shall be my people. One author calls that the Emmanuel principle. God is with us. Does that sound familiar? We saw it in the previous chapter, didn't we? We saw it in Matthew chapter 1. Do you remember? Matthew chapter 1. Joseph realizes his fiancée Mary is pregnant and he knows he's not the father, decides to end the engagement. An angel shows up again in a dream saying, Joseph, um, guess what? Surprise, surprise, the baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary's telling the truth, okay? You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew adds, Matthew 1, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, he says, which means God with us. There's your hope in the midst of your grief. God is with you. 
See, when I'm, when I'm in the tunnel vision of trial, maybe you can relate to this, when I'm in that tunnel, start to think, I'm all alone in this situation. I'm left to myself in this situation. God, God seems very distant from me. God seems very far from me. Maybe God has abandoned me. Can you relate to that? Are you in that tunnel right now? Listen, Christmas says otherwise. Christmas says God is with you right now. God's not left you. God's not going to forsake you. You might not be able to fear it or sense it. He's with you. The child has come, lived, died, rose, sent his spirit. He's with you. God with you, who says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. God with you, who says, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. God with you in that workplace trial. God with you in the trial in your family. God, God with you in the trial in your neighborhood or your personal life. The Christian, listen, faces none of those alone. So you see your story embedded in God's bigger story. And you realize the reality is a lot like what my car mirror says. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Do you have one of those mirrors? I think they're useless. I don't understand how to process this. I don't know where the object is. But listen, God is a lot closer to you than it may appear right now. He's with you. That's gift number two. Out of grief, Jesus brings hope. But if you are tracking with me, you might now be asking, how? How? He brings spiritual freedom. He is God with us. We have that hope in our sufferings, in our trials, in our difficulties. But how? How does a child born at Christmas bring us gifts such as that? Well, back to our story one last time. Verse 19. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt now, down in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So God intervenes again, doesn't he? And the message to Joseph is, it's safe to go back. Herod is dead. It seems like, reading between the lines, Joseph plans to go back to Bethlehem. Hey, that's where God left us last time. Let's go back there. Sounds good to me. Okay, wait a minute. Either Joseph decides or he's warned further in a dream no, go back to your hometown of Nazareth. Instead, setting the stage for another pattern, some more clothing to be fulfilled. Verse 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. 
that he would be called, the child would be called, a Nazarene. Now notice, this fulfillment is different. It's by the prophets, plural, and it's not actually a, a direct quotation. It's more of an indirect quotation. Matthew, it seems, is referencing a theme, a theme in the prophets that the Messiah would be considered a Nazarene. In fact, one from Nazareth. Now, I mean no offense here if you are from the city of Cleveland. But that might be an analogy for us. If someone says to you, I am from Cleveland, are you immediately impressed? It's not like saying, I'm from Beverly Hills, you know. I, I, I'm from Manhattan. I'm from Cleveland. You, you just, you, there's no wow factor. Nazareth was kind of like that on steroids. In fact, you could say it was shameful, shameful to be from Nazareth. Think about John chapter 1, when Nathaniel hears that Jesus is from Nazareth. What does he say? Can anything good come out of that place, Nazareth? Oh, give me a break. Matthew's highlighting a theme in the prophets that the Messiah would be despised and rejected. Like Psalm 22, and like especially Isaiah 53, where we are told of a coming servant of the Lord, he was despised, hated, and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken, smitten by God and, and afflicted, afflicted by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Friends, did you catch that? That's the Nazarene. Despised and rejected by men. Jesus is wearing those clothes. They were custom designed for him, and that unboxes one last gift. Gift number three. Out of rejection. Out of rejection, Jesus brings favor. Out of his rejection, Jesus brings you God's favor. This is what I mean. He was rejected by man leading to his crucifixion, but while being rejected by men, he was, in a real kind of way, rejected by God. I mentioned Psalm 22. As Jesus is hanging from the cross, he quotes the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hung on that cross in a great mystery, God the Father in some real way forsook God the Son for our sins. He endured God's wrath. 
God's judgment, that chastisement that you might experience this morning, God's favor, God's grace, God's love for you. I love how the great reformer John Calvin put it. He said, when we taste the gospel, this good news, when we taste the gospel, we see God's smiling countenance turned toward us. Did you catch that? When you taste this good news by believing, by believing it, God's smiling countenance, his smiling face turns toward you. Are you seeing that face this morning? God wants you to. If you are in Christ, he is looking at you with a smiling countenance. He's relating to you in Christ out of his favor. Friend, he was a Nazarene that you could be God's child. Are you seeing now the purpose of Christmas? Are you seeing the so what? Are you seeing why this matters? The one born, quote, king of the Jews, he brings a saving kingdom, this saving, transforming kingdom of of reversals, doesn't he? Out of bondage, he brings deliverance, freedom from slavery to sin. Out of grief in this fallen world, he brings hope, hope of transformation one day and the hope of God being with you today. And out of rejection, out of his rejection, he brings to you God's favor. He relates to you out of his grace and he invites you to enter that kingdom by believing. So, Will you believe? Maybe you've already trusted this Savior born at Christmas. But think of it this way. The Christian life is lived repenting and believing the gospel. Do you know that? The Christian life is lived out repenting and believing in the good news. It's lived every day, turning and trusting in Christ. It's lived every day, tasting that good news and beholding God's smiling face because he's smiling at you. And I just pray this Christmas, you are aware because he was born, because he lived and died, God's smiling at you right now. But maybe, maybe you're here and you realize God is calling you to believe for the first time. And I just want to say thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. You're, you're in the right place. At least that's my opinion. I'm so glad you've come. These are amazing gifts held out to you. I hope you see that. Christmas is not primarily about you giving gifts. It's about God holding out gifts to you right now. Gifts of freedom. Gifts of hope. Gifts of salvation. Gifts of God's favor. And he calls you to turn from going your own way. To turn away from things you know are wrong because they grieve God. And to turn to Christ. To trust in. To trust in the life, 
death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this child born at Christmas. And friend, you will have your sins taken away and you will know God personally and intimately in a relationship that will last forever. So I just want to close by praying and we're going to sing very appropriately Joy to the World. So the music team can come. Let's pray.